0: The Blaze Radio Network on Demand
1: Lock and Load.
2: This is Steve Dace, The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Hope you had a great weekend. Happy Monday. I am Steve Dace. Welcome to the show live on the blaze on demand at CRTV. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you want to join us. 888-900-3393 is the number 888-900-3393. Tomorrow, we're gonna have our first open phone segment of the program since we started this two weeks ago today. So keep that number handy. 888-900-3393. You can also take advantage of the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at SteveDaceShow. Well, it's been a long weekend. It's unbelievable. Some of the stuff that has already transpired just since we left you about 72 hours ago. So let's get an update. Here's what's happened while we were away.
0: What happened while we were away brought to you by the unthinkable becoming real. A gunman who frequently posted anti-Semitic threats online burst into a busy Pittsburgh synagogue on Saturday and opened fire, killing 11 people and injuring six others. After exchanging gunfire with police, 46-year-old Robert Bowers surrendered and was taken into custody.
1: You look at the violence all over the world. I mean, the world has violence. The world is a violent world. And uh,
3: you think... When you're over it, it just sort of goes away, but then it comes back in the form of a madman, a, uh, a wacko. I think one thing we should do is we should stiffen up our laws in terms of the death penalty.
0: Blue checkmark Twitter was about as despicable as you would imagine. A word to my fellow American Jews, this president makes this possible. Here, where you live, I hope the embassy move over there, where you don't live, was worth it. The FBI arrested 56-year-old Caesar Sayoc on Friday. He's the one alleged to have sent pipe bombs to over a dozen well-known left-wing activists. No motives have been confessed, but if his van is any indication, well, what a nut job. The FBI also added that the devices sent through the mail were not mere hoaxes. Don't compare Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler. It belittles Hitler. A producer for The Simpsons is confirming that the character Apu, an Indian character, is being deported after social justice warriors got offended because cultural appropriation or some crap. The Vatican has developed a new video game called Follow JC Go. It's a Pokemon Go knockoff that lets players use their phones to catch Jesus. In unrelated news, the European Court of Human Rights has outlawed the defamation of Muhammad. In this case, defamation basically means that if you draw or criticize Muhammad in any way, you're breaking the law. And that's what happened while we were away in two minutes or less.
2: Um, how did I miss this? The Vatican has turned Jesus into Pokemon?
0: Got to up the numbers with, uh, with the millennials, man.
4: Don't make me talk. There's much shame.
0: I'm old enough to remember one one of those guys, one of those preachers who was like the the demon under the doily guy who yeah. told me that the Dairy Queen down the street was demonic because of the design of their logo. I remember. Or though,
2: Procter and Gamble was from Satan. Yeah, remember um, those? Harry Potter is satanic yeah. because of the lightning bolt. And, yeah. Um, so ACDC Pokemon, means yeah. against Christ, destroy destroy Christ. And uh, against kiss Christ. Means devil's means devil's knights in Satan's yeah. army. Mm-hmm, yeah, or yeah. Satan's service. Yeah. yeah. I will say one thing, and I'll just
4: let it sit. That's Joel Olstein stuff right there. Catholic Church, please please stop.
2: He's right about that. In fact, I don't, well, I was going to say I, there might be a shame level that Osteen wouldn't sink to, but no, nah, you're right. I, I, that's just, thanks for that boss. <laughs> appreciate, appreciate that. I don't think I could have taken where you were really going. <laughs> that might've been the most anti-Catholic statement I've ever mentioned. <laughs> I've ever said on the show. Um, let's get to uh, one more ridiculous take. So, um, unintentional humor is always the best, right? When, when, when the old Shakespearean line of being hoisted from your own petard, uh, I saw over the weekend, for example, Michigan State's school president was claiming that uh, the fine they got from the Big Ten was uh, ridiculous, and Michigan set them up with that pregame confrontation that went viral last week. And I'm like, so... Your defense is your your program is so, so gullible yeah. and so stupid. They walked right into Michigan's trap, and that's preferable to we tried to thug it up. That's your preferable narrative. I don't, I don't know if I were on the Michigan State coaching staff. I'd be out there like, hey, thanks, Prez. Thanks for having our backs. Similarly, for those of you working on the Simpsons, and for those of you that call yourselves social justice warriors, your solution is more white faces on the cast. I mean, I haven't watched The Simpsons since, you know, it used to be night, weekly viewing when I was younger. I haven't watched it probably in almost 20 or 15 years at least. But from what I recall, isn't he like the only guy on the cast that actually has an honest work ethic? Isn't he the only yeah. character that's an honest, honest American capitalist? Isn't he the only one? Second Amendment guy too. Yeah. So the idea, so the diversity is, the only racism is the only non-white character is the one that actually is the most honest, um, self-made American, and social justice demands. Therefore, he we get rid of him so that the cast is more white. Help me to understand. No. Aaron, I'm just gonna. I, yeah. This so is beyond said, you and I's reach. Yeah, I said, Aaron, this is your generation. Help yeah. us.
0: And by the way, I I, I just I, I said that he's being deported, but he's being written off officially. But he's being deported. Um, he, he, This is this is. Um, this, this makes all the sense in the world if you are someone who subscribes to intersectionality, um, because the creators of The Simpsons mostly are white people, and so anything, even if it's, even if it's positive, anything they do regarding other races— even if it's positive, even if they're painting them in positive, it's automatically racist because they're appropriating in some small way or some big ways. They're appropriating another culture that doesn't belong to them. Historically, you know, Indians were oppressed by Anglo's, by the British, um, and so they they that automatically means that you cannot touch them at all. Even if it's to paint them in a in a positive light, uh, you must basically Matt Groening, the, the creator of The Simpsons, he needs to step down and appoint Apu um, to be his, his replacement. Uh, that's basically what needs to happen if they're going to have any dark-skinned characters in the show whatsoever. Because, because again, no matter, no matter the context at all, if you are a white person and you utilize, no matter the context, another race for whatever you're doing, that's automatically racist because white people are down here down here you can't see that i'm really low down here on the intersectionality totem pole every other race is up up there because we have oppressed white or other other races for so long and so it's now time for us to make our recompense and that's why apu is getting written off the show
4: and that's the the truth right now as we just learned last week we didn't get it we talked about megan kelly but it was pointed out that both jimmy kimmel And um, the SNL guy who hosts... uh um, the Tonight Show now, Jimmy Fallon. Fallon they Jimmy both Fallon? did full on blackface, not plastic. Full on blackface. Ha ha, really funny back when they did it. The point being, that was the truth then. This is a, you. That's the thing. You, their truth is absolute in the moment they declare it the truth, but it can and will change tomorrow, the next day. It is constantly a moving target. All of us are always the victims, but for different reasons. So even if we try to play, we will lose. You got to get this through your head.
2: So if if I'm white and I don't put a dark-skinned character in my story, racist. I'm a racist. And if I do put racist. a dark-skinned character in my racist. story, and he's actually the most laudable character in my story, racist. no matter the context, I'm, I'm a racist. Racist. So racist. Am I just racist no matter what I think and do You're, because I'm white?
0: Here's, here's the deal. Um, because of your skin color, that happens to be white, no matter what you do, you're automatically second class because you're racist.
2: So, yeah. the unracist thing to do is to immediately judge a group of people based as second this. class based on their race. But it's justified. That's because, the unracist thing.
0: Yeah, but it's justified because uh, white people suck.
2: I've traveled all over the country. I mean, I'm not going back, guys, so I mean, I'm not a major star. I'm, I'm not in demand every weekend, but I've done my share of traveling over the last couple of years around the country. You guys know you've had to pick up the slack from me when I've been gone. I mean, I've been in dozens of airports and cities around the country the last three, four, five years. I've never had anybody walk up to me and say, hey, I'm a member of the social media mob. You ever met? Anybody walk up to you at mass ever? And say, "Hey, I'm a hey Todd. Nice to meet you. I'm a member of the social media mob. You ever met that person? Not yet. Nobody's Aaron. walked up
0: to me, but I've walked up to somebody who I knew was a member of the social media mob and gave him a piece of my mind. Did you? Yeah. I, I've never met
2: this nebulous social media mob. Who are these people? Do they? Do they? Are these the Russian bots of the left? Do see, they actually exist? Do these? I'm dead serious. Do these no, people see,
0: actually exist? Now, now is the, the part of the conversation where we get serious. We've seen with With the bomber, and we've seen with the shooting this weekend, the the guys who perpetrated that. Um, these are who we're seeing online. Maybe some of them are fake. Maybe some of them are bots. These are who we're seeing online. It's clear now that not every single social media troll or every single troll who just makes stupid threats is not part of 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 the Russian troll army. There are people, now to what degree, based on what we see um, from social media, to what degree, we we still don't know that. But it's clear these people are real. These people are real. They're not just Russian bots. I think the events of the last week should show us um, at at least least that. We can't just blame everything we see on Twitter that's just out of left field or way out of right field. I agree. On, on Russian bots. I'm not saying that's what you're doing, yeah. but that's that's the sad reality about the last week.
2: And, and we are we are going to get into the violence, the political violence we saw this weekend, um, particularly in the next segment when uh, Bob Vander Plaats from The Fame Leader joins us and see if we can have a conversation that maybe rises above some of the rancor and tribalism will probably fail, but we're going to give it a shot here in a few minutes. But I, I kind of think we have to clear out the ridiculous before we can address the seriousness because I, I think a lot of what we are taking seriously is ridiculous. I I don't know, you know, I've got a column today over at conservativereview.com, which essentially points out that the United States is about to make world history twice. It really is, with the help and aid of providence, but we're not a direct theocracy called out of slavery in the wilderness by Almighty God like Israel was. We had the aid of of, of, of Almighty providence for sure, but really we are the, the first self-ruled free people in the history of this world. And we're about to become the first people that will then just voluntarily give it all back. Like without an invading army, without like a zombie apocalypse or a black plague, as they would have called it in the Middle Ages, you know, without some external catalyst bringing us to our knees. We're about to go from the first civilization ever built by rugged individualism to the first civilization ever conquered by uh, its own complacency. You know, we just we thought this over for 240 years and decided, nah. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing right now. I think we've done it. All right, and 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 I think the evidence for this—if you're looking for Steve, give me some data. You're Mister Data. I mean, I could give you data. And to me, the worst statistic in America today—and I mean, the worst is that the average 28-year-old male today is more likely to be living at home with mom and dad than married with a kid. Because that, that nugget is the, think of abortion rates out of wedlock, birth rates. Think of all the things that you're concerned, murder rates. Think of, think of everything that you would point out to be tragic. What would be the origin? We always talk about damming a river at its source, right? That's your origin right there. That, I mean, you, you always know the state of a culture by the state of its men, period, end of sentence, moving on. And that's true regardless of the religious system or the lack thereof. Every culture, everyone is determined by the state of its men. And when we have, and, and to me, the 28-year-old guy, if you're, if you're living with your parents, and it's not because there's been a tragic accident or something of that nature, there's always going to be exceptions, but if to me living it with your parents normally means I'm not actually pursuing adulthood. It's not that I haven't met the right person yet. It's not that I've I would like to step into you know manhood. I just when you're living when when a generation of Aaron's of Aaron's peers are more likely living at home than they are with a woman in a family married with the ultimate responsibility at the age of 28. To me that 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 tells me all I need to know about what state, we, what state we are in to confront all the other societal ills we would talk about because they would because the antidote to them would all come back to that dynamic for the source. But if I could give you something anecdotal or inexperiential to bring that home to you, I mean, can you imagine Julius Caesar being told... Um, Well, you know, we were going to go and invade Germania, but um, we went down to the bathhouse, and I couldn't believe what um, what Carthage forty three wrote on the wall, and he's really offended that you didn't give the key to the city back, and so we're just kind of doubting this whole for the glory of Rome thing. You're trying to name me another civilization. We're anonymous idiots. I mean, Mike Gundy, the Oklahoma State football coach, Saturday night, Yeah, is, yep. is all of us right now. Yep. All of us right now. And I think Twitter's a great resource for somebody like me to aggregate news. But the idea that it determines public opinion based off of un- the same media complaining Russian bots we can't identify stole the last election really wants uh, Nose Ring 43 to decide whether what what America's hiring policies ought to be and makes that the cry on, on 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 national news outlets why I cannot imagine any other society in world history where anonymous idiots determined who who, who no one could actually identify and you're laughing but this is what's happening right now Twitter right ba- now
4: Twitter basically is like the etchings on the portageon
2: yes I mean, literally, imagine you walked into a bathroom and it said, here I sit, lonely hearted. And we all know how the rest ends. And you thought, you know, I think that person's views on climate change are really, are dope. Let's do this. Name me another society ruled by anonymous idiots. Do you know if this has ever happened? Ever? Well, ever.
0: The state, of the ma- state of manhood. I mean... Adam in the garden, what was his response? Passivity. And now that's what we're seeing now, except for when it comes to people who are just hurling um anonymous ad hominems at you. It's just it is it there is no I, I can't think of another civilization. And going back to the, the point about about manhood, that that is that is truly where the buck stops with any civilization. Even even the Julius Caesars, the ones who weren't, didn't have to respond to anonymous Twitter trolls, um, the state of, of manhood, when it is focused on things other than what its primary God-ordained responsibility is, whether or not it's tripped into that God-ordained responsibility, or knows the source of that responsibility, which is God, no um, matter no matter what, um, no matter w- what the cir- circumstance is, if, it is if, if it's reaction, if manso- manhood's in mass reaction. Is any sort of passivity like we saw in the garden? You know that destruction is going to fall mm-hmm. uh, follow every single time. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening right
2: now. Yes. So just as you were talking, I like, and I like never do this. I almost never read the replies on my Twitter account, except if I get to like the, and, and when I do, I never go past like the first three. That's kind of my rule in general. Okay. So if you're replying to me and you're, and you're a God fearing American and I've never replied, God bless you. But now you know why. Email me directly. The, the comment sections on my blogs or the, the response feed on my Twitter account is, is where human dignity goes to die. And I just won't take part. Okay. So I just clicked on my moments. All right. I clicked on my moments on, my, on one of my Twitter accounts for, for the, one of the sports shows that we produce here each week. Um, because I try to get I try to get away from news when I'm not doing this as much as I can. Here and here is what Twitter's algorithm has selected as newsworthy. All right, what do you make of the preloaded games on the refitted PlayStation Classic? That's the number one thing on my moments. It has 15 likes. Celebs embrace Holly, Halloween with creative and clever costumes. It has 158 likes. Student killed in shooting at Butler School in Matthews, North Carolina. 42 likes. Doctor Who's giant spiders freak out a lot of people. 36 likes. Fans at Dodger Stadium unfurled transgender pride sign. 19 likes. Priyanka Chopra, I don't even know who that is, celebrated her bridal shower at Tiffany's. 62 likes. A Michelin chef tried protein shakes and it didn't go well. 10 10 likes. Another suspicious package addressed to CNN was 10 likes fans. Boo upcoming Saudi Arabia crown jewel event. 29 likes 12 cats living their best lives on national cat day. 12 likes Japanese princesses. Renounce royal title to marry a commoner 293 likes no Texas voting machines. Aren't malfunctioning seven likes why Angela Merkel's retirement as German leader in 2021 is bad news. 11 likes grandfather's personal photo album found in library 161 likes. I mean, this is a trivial amount of people. I'm just going to stop right there. All right. These are trivial amounts of people. And one of the leading information sources on planet earth has something appealing to, and I would say out of all of these, the only thing that matters, regardless of your politics is this, student shooting at, you know, the tragedy there in, in Matthews, North Carolina. Why? Who cares about any of the rest of this? I mean, we're talking, we're in, we're in single digit 0.000000 decimal points. And this is the stuff that Twitter is, has trending number one on my Twitter account. Why? Well, you know who cares the most out of
4: this, about this kind of stuff? stuff and tries to echo it just in terms of its it's uh what they think to be its its version of snarkiness or its uh or its uh one-liner bitingness it goes back to what we talked about on friday the, the press and look you pointed it out uh on uh twitter itself not so ironically uh this weekend regarding what the washington post said the Washington Post wants to be like Twitter. Look at what they, yeah. about
2: the Hitler thing. Yeah, that was in Aaron's montage. Yes. It's essentially, the, and, and this goes, and this is the New York Times running a column a few months ago. Why isn't it okay to hate white people? Why, why isn't it okay to dislike men? Was it, that was another one that, when the New York Times and the Washington Post now are literally running the sort of headlines that the Voxes and Mother Jones, that conservative media used to use these outlets for clickbait. Because it was e- reacting to them on our side was easy to get clicks from our re- readers. This is now the 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 paragons of of liberal media have now resorted to this to whatever the Voxes and uh, and Mother Joneses of the world have done for leftist trolling, and that just indicates when you're just not serious. You're not serious on any level about this journalism thing. Because now we're not even talking about trying to give them the most benefit of the doubt that we're not the intended audience. It's meant for another America. That's just not even, that's just not even for any public and consumption and any, uh, uh, that's just, you're just not serious about your, your your, your, business model. You're just, you're not serious about your craft. You just, you don't care. Don't you think? Oh, you know,
4: I think and it, it's, it hits why also there's increasingly numbers of people. There's a lot to get on Donald Trump about. Um, but the, Donald Trump is just right about the press and he's, you
2: know why he's right. He's the product of it. He's a creation of it. He's withstood numerous marriage, business failures, personal failures for decades because he he's been working this game and scam with them for decades. He gets how it works because, and, and he's a creation. He has maintained his celebrity status going against failures and scandals that would have leveled other superstars and he's done it so, he's done it solely because he's played the press and they've wanted to be played by him and then he and then they they thought they were playing the american people when they they launched him to the nomination giving him 60 times more coverage than anybody else and then the joke was on them on election day of 2016 and they've been bitter and angry about it ever since that they got played again and he's just been playing them every day since then again that's all he gets it. He's playing them, Todd, because he's a product of their system. He understands the way that it operates. And thus, of course, he's also admitting
4: uh, on some level that he's a joke, too, because um, this that's the system that spit him out. Um, but, you know, like, this is like my Lindsey Graham role. When, when, when you have so many—Steve, and you, Steve, you just got done talking about the state of our men. That was the point I was making. You know, hate the game, not the player. When Henry, Lindsey Graham or Donald Trump show up to tell you the truth, when— Everybody else has had the opportunity to do so, and they pass on it because they're cowards or fools. Hey, you know, dance with the one that brung you, I guess.
0: Steve, what do you mean by uh, these people are not serious about their model?
2: What I mean is you have essentially given up the notion that there's something that sets you apart as a legitimate enterprise, as a legitimate entity. You have have given up this notion that you are – a, a paragon of progressive virtue, and you have just decided you're going to do pro pro wrestling. Uh, you know, Trollopalooza, clickbaity. You're not, you're you're. There's no place for you to criticize. Um, you know, uh, conservative treehouse or Alex Jones. You're you're just gonna. You've just decided you've given yourself over to the spirit of the age. You're you're not sounds, any better.
0: Sounds like the end result in some ways of cronyism. If you know what I mean, uh, in in another context, because this is what I mean. The progressives have run mainstream media for decades now, and now that they just have it, they're just they've, they've there's a business there, and they're just gonna keep uh, milking it for all it's worth because they know they know you're gonna keep clicking on it. Um, the same thing could happen with uh, cronyism. What, name the industry that uh, crony capitalism takes over. I mean, once you once you I uh, get complete control, and there's no real mechanism for true uh, accountability um, lethargy just kind of takes over and um, that's that's that is worrisome uh, obviously
2: yeah i think what you're seeing now is there there is no there 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 is no restraint now nobody is showing any I mean, we're going to have a conversation later on with Dr. Michael Brown about his new book Donald Trump is not my savior and we're going to have that conversation again about the stuff evangelicals are willing to tolerate for political power. And and you know, our our uh, opponents on the left love to point out that hypocrisy and they're right. But they've they have given up there is no restraint on their side now either. Everybody's Hitler. Everybody's a fascist. Everybody's a racist. Trump is worse than Hitler. It's okay to hate white people. We're going to print a column in the Washington Post on Christmas Day that, questioning whether Jesus Christ ever lived when there really isn't an acceptable scholar on right or left that even doubts that anymore. I mean, this is all restraint is off. All restraint is off. And, and you, you justify going there in your mind when you believe there's an existential conflict at stake, when, when you believe that there, there, you, aren't, you cannot coexist with the other combatant in the same space anymore. And this is a form of civil war. That, that's what's going on right here. Is the Washington Post and the New York Times were your last gatekeepers of any sort of dignity, any sort of class whatsoever on the other side, and, and they have essentially just say, yeah, we're tapping out. We're Mother Jones now. We're, we're Salon now. We're Vox now. We and are Nose Ring 43 yeah, now. That, that's who we are now. Yeah. Just as we have been uncomfortable with many on the right doing the same thing, uh, pushing silly conspiracy theories and easily debunked half-truths and myths, uh, making, a, making Alex Jones a household name, uh, you know, uh, the, there is no high ground anymore. And- You give it up. Well, there's another reason you would give it up. The other reason you give it up is you're in the midst of a Romans 1 moment. So it's really one of the two things, and maybe it could even be both. But one reason you give it up is you've been given over as a culture to your own depraved mind. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about why I think what we saw over the weekend with this synagogue shooter is evidence of this. Because there's a trend in history that shows us historically when anti-Semitism, and it hasn't always been called that, but, you know, uh, Jupiter was still a planet before we called it Jupiter too, okay? So when anti-Semitism arises to the main stage of a culture, history has proven that is a culture that is in either spiritual decline and or rebellion every time. There is no spiritually healthy culture where antisemitism semitism uh, comes on to the main stage. It just doesn't happen. That's always a sign of a culture that is either approaching a spiritually dark place or is in the midst of one. And so, if you look at the fact now that most people are beginning to believe it's okay to show any to to, re, to remove any restraint whatsoever, I mean, to watch Chuck Todd questioning Eric Erickson over the weekend about why he will not criticize Rush Limbaugh for peddling conspiracy theories at the same time. Nicole Wallace on his own network has advocated someone punching the president pretty much every day. And now we find out they withheld as a network exculpatory evidence where Brett Kavanaugh's concerned. You just, you cast off restraint now when you view living with the other side just is not an option. And that's the very definition of a civil war. You know, if you wanted to know what fake news would look like at the grocery store, go buy one of those so-called superfoods. Take a look at the uh, superfood container and the supplemental facts panel. Supplemental facts means it's not made from real food. It's made from extracts instead. So with the goal of creating a real superfood this time that is specifically designed to enhance your health and help you reach your full potential, a team of top physicians gathered to form BrickHouse Nutrition, and they want to introduce our audience here on The Blaze and CRTV to Field of Greens. The first real superfood and the difference that sets it apart can be seen right there on the bottle. Instead of supplemental facts, this time you see Nutrition Facts. Because it is made with real food. One scoop of Field of Greens is a full serving of real certified vegan, vegetarian, and USDA organic fruits and vegetables, which most Americans do not get in a day. Complete with the antioxidants you're looking for, especially this time of year to boost that immune system with cool cold and flu season here. This is a daily clean green energy that fuels your body for a healthier and happier lifestyle and for a limited time offer. You can visit BrickHouseSteve.com and use Steve as a promo code to get you 15% off of your first order. Again, visit BrickHouseSteve.com, use promo code Steve to get 15% off of your first order today and experience a better you as soon as tomorrow. Bob uh, Vander Plaats from The Family Leader joins us each week at this time here on The Steve Day Show. Bob, good to see you. How are you?
3: Doing really well. Good to see you.
2: So we uh, we saw another uh, um, really an eruption of violence, politically inspired violence over the weekend. Uh, one, uh, an extremist whack job, a Trump supporter, uh, who has been sending out and these, according to the FBI, led by Trump's own Appointee, Christopher Ray were not hoax devices. These were not pranks. This was not a false flag, as many on the right uh, theorized last week. Uh, but this guy legitimately was a whack job attempting political terrorism, according to our FBI anyway. Uh, and then we, of course, thought that would dominate the headlines for the next few days until uh the uns- and something even more unspeakable happened on Saturday, uh, and this is when a whack job neo-Nazi in Pittsburgh opened fire on a synagogue, killing uh, eleven Jewish residents of that city. So as as we see this. Um, The rhetoric now become actionable, Bob, and I I go back to June of 2017. I was on CNN the Sunday morning after the near-mass assassination of a group of Republican congressmen that were there at that uh, ball field getting ready for a charity softball game, and I was on there with Sally and or Cohn, whatever, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. Again, I don't watch this stuff. I try to avoid it every chance I have. But we were talking about toning down the rhetoric. And then a week later, Sally Khan Cohn was on Twitter accusing uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan of going on, and I quote, a 50 state killing spray, unquote, for uh, attempting to repeal, without even actually repealing it, Obamacare. If we're going to say to the Floyd, the nutjobs like Floyd Corkins of the world, that the family, people at the Family Research Council are bigots and haters, if we're going to tell people that Republicans, who have a different idea of healthcare are killing people by taking their healthcare away, then tell me how we are not, if, if we're going to, if that's going to become acceptable, if the Washington post is going to run a column this over the weekend, Trump is worse than Hitler. And they did. Well, you know, if we're going to tee it up for nut jobs like this, why are we shocked when they're going to act when they're going to act on it?
3: Well, first of all, we shouldn't be shocked. I think it was Forrest Gump who said stupid is as stupid does. Uh, For those those of us who are believers, we know evil has always existed and it exists yet today. The first thing I would say though, Steve, is that I would not give an out to those who are carrying this stuff out, to those who are sending out the bombs to these political adversaries, to those who go inside a Jewish synagogue and gun down 11 people. I would never give them an out. They are responsible for their actions. However, I believe every one of us need to put in the clutch and take a look in the mirror. And see, what are we doing to feed this frenzy? What are we doing to feed this this division to where if you don't agree with somebody, instead of that being a hallmark of a republic, a hallmark of a democracy, saying, now you need to kill them, you need to act out violently against them, I think we need to challenge ourselves on this as well. And then I know it almost becomes a little bit trite when I'm on here, but I always say, you know, this is a time for the church to be the church. We uh, We. are. We, this is a spiritual warfare. There's obviously darkness being unveiled. Uh, I believe you said in your last segment, it's out on the stage. It's from behind the curtain today. It's a time for the church to be the light into a culture and call people to think bigger, look higher, look beyond themselves versus only about what do they get. And when they don't get it, I have now the right to go out after you because... That's kind of the culture in which we live.
2: So I agree with you. And I sit here and talk, well, now it's for 10 hours a week and now live, about what's happening in the culture in real time. And we're watching uh, things happening that are existential in nature. And so I'm not going to talk anymore about anybody else. I want to have a conversation about how I handle my own business here, and I'm fine. If you want to call me onto the carpet, that's why I want to go there. So in your mind, what's going too far? Is it going too far for me to label progressivism, which I have, as the heresy of this age? To say that it is, it is a philosophy, it's, it's not even a philosophy, it is a rival religion that wants to undo our way of life. In your view, is it okay for me to go there?
3: Or do you think I'm, I'm stoking the divisions you're doing? No, talking about? I definitely think it's okay for you to go there. But what you're doing now is you're addressing an issue, you're addressing an ideology. Mm-hmm. You're not stoking the flames of division about those who champion mm-hmm. that, what I completely disagree with, and which I think is detrimental to this country. As a matter of fact, I believe it's a part of spiritual warfare of saying, but whoever the messenger is of that, they need to be taken out. They need to be, be cut down. You're, you're basically arguing. That's what I'd say is a foundational First Amendment right here in this country of saying, we have a difference in philosophy, and I'm willing to articulate that and to call out progressivism for what it is and what it will lead to.
2: So would you say, for example, when I call Planned Parenthood baby killers, because that's what they do. They kill sure. babies. In your, would you say me calling Planned Parenthood baby killers is different than... Nicole Wallace on MSNBC saying, I think Trump is an evil fascist and someone should go punch him. Well, like, like I'm not going to, I'm not, I wouldn't tell somebody to go hit, uh, you know, go punch the face of the head of Planned Parenthood, for example.
3: Right. I think that you're definitely right. There's a difference. One is Planned Parenthood. That is what they do. That is basically the mission of their, of their organization mm-hmm. is we're going to give women the ability to, to kill babies that are inside their bodies. And so, therefore, you're calling out basically a fact. Now to say Trump is this evil person and this evil leader, and even though you might disagree with everything he does or who he is, but to basically say he needs to be taken out, that's now giving somebody – to me, that's where you're feeding the frenzy of now I'm giving you the right. I'm telling you, giving you the charge, go ahead, take this guy out.
2: Is it wrong for me to say to leftists on social media – and on cable news, who are urging the accosting of of Republicans in public places, like we saw with Ted Cruz and his wife, or Mitch McConnell and his wife, et cetera, is it wrong for me to respond by saying, and I because I had done this too? Uh, listen, if you want to go down that road, that's fine. You know, I don't know that it's the smartest cultural play to continue to publicly confront and bully the people who tend to have more tend to have the guns. I don't think that's a strategic uh, play. I think it's a dumb move. Is that going too far, do you think?
3: Well, I, I think when you say to, to those who have the guns, I mean, I think you got to be careful there. But I understand what you're saying is that, you know, as Reagan said, you know, freedom is something that you need to want really bad. And freedom is something that you have to, it's not pass through in the bloodline. You have to be willing to fight for it. And so you know the relationship I have with with Donna Redwing, who headed up the LGBT organization here in Iowa. Her and I have fundamentally very different views. But Donna would say at every one of the forums that we did, she said, but I would take a bullet for Bob to be able to say what he's saying because that's the hallmark of this this country, free speech. For us to say we're going to go and we're going to ostracize Sarah Sanders and her family, because we don't agree with how she's representing the president, mm-hmm. I think that's an issue of saying, you know, now we're basically given a green light to say, you have the right to go after those guys. And people will take it too far. We live in a culture today where, where it's very easy to see whether it's a Jewish synagogue or, or whether it's um, of the bomb threats or anything else, or two black people in a Kroger grocery store. Mm-hmm. People will take it too far. And we got to be careful about. What kind of a dialogue do we want to have? So
2: what have you seen then from people on our side? So, you know, St. Peter says judgment begins in the house of God first, right? Look at the, look at the, the plank in your own eye before you go look at the speck of dust on somebody else's. That's why I wanted to start off by looking at some of the things I've said recently that other people may take as edgy. Does it go over the edge or not? Because mm-hmm. I'm with you on this, I, sure. I'm, you know, and I'm trying to figure out in real time, kind of fumbling through the dark. How do I defend, you know, I have a God-given right to self-defense. My values, my family, what I stand for, et cetera, my livelihood. How do I do that in a way though that is constructive and not deconstructive, that doesn't forfeit or surrender, but also doesn't unnecessarily provoke and stoke at the same time? Have you seen anything recently by people representing our side that you are concerned about?
3: Well, yes, yes. Uh, Definitely, yes. And part of it is what you and I've talked about before, and that's the tribalism factor. I mean, if if they wear our jersey, we will do everything Mm -hmm. to have their back and protect them, even though we know they're doing wrong. Even though we know what they did does not represent a fruit of the Spirit. Even though what we know what they said is detrimental, destructive, and causes a divisive environment in which we live. And so it's almost like, what team are you on? And that's why we're saying, you know, forget about the tribalism stuff. Okay, I'm glad Trump's in the White House. I am personally glad Trump's in the White House. That doesn't mean I believe everything he does is worthy of high praise. Remember, there's a lot of things he does that we need to call him out for. And if you call him out, you're, to me, you're being a true friend, but you're making him a better president. And great, I'm glad he's delivering some goods, okay? Cheer him on for delivering those goods. But in the same way on their side, when, the, the, when they're not wearing your jersey, Go ahead and call them out, but not in a destructive, basically divisive that, you know, they need to be exterminated because they don't believe the way I believe. To me, if you really believe what you believe to be really real and you have a deep-seated conviction of it, you know, part of what we do is that we win the other side through vision, through ideology, and through what is right, not because I've got a bigger stick than you. So
2: this morning I jump on Twitter as I always do to get caught up on the news headlines of the day and one of the things that pops up in my in my timeline is one of the liberals I like to follow is a guy named John Campia and uh, John is uh, sort of your movie fanboy Insider guy. He's got a lot of scoops on the kind of sure. superhero sci-fi movies I like, and knowing um, I watch his videos on YouTube and stuff, where he's giving you the you know scoops and what he's hearing and what's going on with Marvel and DC and stuff. I really enjoy his stuff. He frequently tweets uh, stuff with him and his wife when they go out to Comic Con and stuff together, which you don't typically see a lot, you know, from Hollywood liberals. And here's a guy, a lot of cute stuff. Him and his wife are a, a cute couple. He's married to a very attractive Asian woman, and he jumps on Twitter this morning. And starts going off on Trump supporters, because one of them um, you know used a, an epitaph at him and his his uh, Asian wife, and it was very ugly and disgusting and then he closed it by saying i 'm not saying all Trump supporters are like this, but stop and think about why why you what, what it is about Trump that attracts this element and you know i 'm like you know i 've been on MSNBC dozens of times and every time i 've ever been on i 've been told because i 'm a bigot i don 't deserve rights i don 't deserve free speech i've been told um, uh, by, by tolerant leftists, I hope your daughters get raped so they would have to face the, per, the prospect of having an abortion because you don't know what you're talking about and sure. you hate women. So it so can't be his own logic. And he's got three times the Twitter following I have. And he's sharing this with hundreds of thousands of people today. By his logic, should I assume everybody that voted for Barack Obama wants to shut my business down and, and doesn't want me to be able to, to – uh, want, it's bake the cake, bigot, or, or we put you in jail. Should, by can't be his own logic. Should I just assume that? This is the world we're living in all of the time. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no benefit of the doubt. And if you're not wearing the right jersey going to the tribalism, you said, if you're wearing the right jersey, you are instant, You're absolved instantly of all bad. If you have the magic R or the magic D, and if you're not wearing the right jersey, then I can't see you for a human being. You're absolute dumb. How do, you, how do we get beyond that?
3: I think it's where Jesus said there's a narrow road. <laughs> and the narrow yeah, road."
2: It's getting narrow,
3: yeah. brother. I can tell you that. It definitely is. Because when you take a look at the tribalism factor that we live in, it's even where this gentleman says, you know, because a Trump supporter said this to me, I'm not going to lump all Trump supporters as being that. Or because Obama supporters said this, I lump all Obama supporters into this. Or Hillary supporters, or you name it. The thing is, where the church has got to be the church, and I believe this is a culture that is screaming out, I want to know the truth. I want somebody to tell me what is. Mm-hmm. As much as Donald Trump, people look at Donald Trump and say, you know he doesn't want to hear the unvarnished truth. I would say he definitely does. And I think he respects somebody who has the willingness to tell him the unvarnished truth. He may not do so in public. He may castigate them in public, whatever it might be. But the fact is someone who's got the boldness and the courage to tell them the unvarnished truth, I think he greatly respects. We need to be willing to say, you know what, we're truth seekers above all else. And we have a higher standard. We're not called into what jersey do I wear. Matter of fact, if we are called Christians, we bear the name of Christ. That, that's why I like Michael Brown's new book. You know, Donald Trump is not my savior. I argued that on Fox News with Todd Starnes. He and I were on the same panel together saying my hope is not in Donald Trump and neither should Charles Payne or Neil Cavuto or Todd Starnes or anybody else who I was on that show with. My hope is in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And we should try to call everybody to that standard through love, which uh, we've been called to do.
2: We have a couple of minutes left here. Todd and Aaron, you've been listening to us go back and forth. Do you have anything you want to add? Todd, I'll start with you. Here on an overtly opinion show, uh,
4: you are saying, guys, this is crazy. Before the bullets start flying, I'll put my cards on the table. Tell me, if if you need to have this conversation go another way with some different terminology – I'm sitting to listen. Mm -hmm. Then over there, and I saw this, I can't remember if it was MSNBC or CNN because I saw it before we started this conversation, but the context was uh, on one of those shows, they were talking to John Kasich, of all people, and he tried to say, you know, hold on a second. The Dems have some issues too with language. They shot him down. They shot John Kasich down. Now, that's fundamentally one of the problems we're dealing with. If a guy like Steve Dace, who isn't exactly known for being a wallflower, is willing to come... And say, "I, I really want to try. I'll try." The point is, they really won't let you. I, I, I wish I could say otherwise, but that's increasingly the reality we have to deal with. No matter what we would want to be otherwise. With
2: Erickson on Meet the Press, we're going to talk about this on our roundtable on CRTV today. But there's other issues with that roundtable we'll discuss. But the idea that Eric Erickson has to speak and defend the credibility of all of conservative media as a wide platform, but yet Chuck Todd doesn't have to be held accountable for all of the debunked reporting and conspiracy theories of his own network. I'm not even asking Chuck Todd to be accountable for all of the liberal media. How about the damn building at 30 Rock where he works? Should he at least be accountable for that? Yet Eric Erickson's got to be accountable for Rush Limbaugh and Fox News and 75 outlets at once. How do you, what standard is that? You're accountable for everybody at all times that wears your uniform ever for three seconds. I'm accountable for nothing. I can't, I can't share a conversation with that you, if those are the rules
3: that's the root of tribalism yeah well you just articulate when you articulate that's why what's rare is to have a steve dace to say i'm willing to be held accountable to this but i really believe this is the business guy in me the economic guy in me always look for a niche don't always go one way or the other way because that's where the crowd is going to look for the niche i think the niche and jesus said that earlier on that is the niche and i'd say stay with that niche
2: you have anyone to add, Aaron?
0: Yeah, I, I think I can sum things up pretty pretty succinctly here, and I'm speaking in idealistic terms, not necessarily what people think of them nowadays. Conservatism um, calls their opponents' ideology evil. Progressivism calls their opponents evil. Nationalism also calls their opponents evil because of tribalism. Mm. I think that's where we're at right now, and I don't see much conservatism around here. That
2: mm. man came over the top with that one. he just got the elbow dropped on us. That was a finishing move. We're out. Three count. We're done here, Bob. Good to see you, man.
3: Good to see you. Sure, I'm
2: not even gonna, Let's not even try and add to that.
3: Give him a bonus.
2: That was so good. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Come on. Come <laughs> on. All right, we are back with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show here live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And if you are listening to the podcast version of the program today on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, at all. If you've got time today, to leave us a five-star review. We would appreciate it. Now, if you don't like our show, don't lie. We wouldn't ask you to lie for us. But we might ask you to just kind of keep that criticism to yourself because we're really sensitive here, all right? But if you do, like what we do, those five-star reviews help other people to check us out. If you like our show as well and you haven't done so yet, even something small like click and subscribe, it takes you two seconds there on the podcast platform of your choice. The more people that see are subscribing to our show, the more people ended up wanting to subscribe to the show, and that's how you can help us help you. All right, so thank you very much to all of you that have done so already. Well, a new book out. And I'm not surprised it has a very provocative title because uh, my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, likes to write books with provocative titles. The next one, or the new one, or the latest, Donald Trump is Not My Savior. And he joins us now here on the Steve Day Show. Good to see you, Michael. How are you?
1: Great to be with you. And remember, there's a subtitle, An Evangelical Leader Speaks His Mind About the Man He Supports as President.
2: So let's start with the title. And then we'll address the subtitle. Okay. Fair enough. Donald Trump is not my savior. Why did you feel the need to declare that?
1: Actually, it was a positive declaration I was making. I was scheduled to be on Chris Cuomo's show a few months back, and then last second it got canceled because of a news shift. And I was supposed to debate a liberal evangelical that had a problem with evangelicals voting for Trump. And one of the first points I wanted to make is, look, the man's not my savior. He didn't die for my sins. I don't owe him my life. My my testimony is not dependent on his character. My salvation is not dependent on his character, but he got my vote as president because it was him versus Hillary. And then I articulated all the reasons for that. So it's, it's a statement that we need to make to the whole world and especially to free up evangelicals. The man is not our savior. He doesn't get our life. He gets our vote. We can support him while differing with him, and we don't want to bow down to the to the left-wing media that tells us, well, we won't listen to you unless you renounce Trump, because they didn't listen to us before anyway.
2: Now let's go to the subtitle, An Evangelical Leader Speaks His Mind About the Man He Supports as President. What, yeah, what does
1: that mean? What it means is this. Throughout the book, I take you on a three-year journey from my days during the primaries when I was a cruise guy and really had massive issues with president Trump and warned evangelicals about him saying, look, if he gets to Trump versus Hillary, then I'll reevaluate it. But right now I cannot see this man as president. I can't see him doing good. I had all these questions, I think for valid reasons, thankfully I was, I was wrong in certain ways. Sadly, I was right about others. So I support him as president. I would love to see his agenda continue to move forward in in the midterm elections. However, as an evangelical, my first loyalty is to the Lord, to truth, to integrity. I'm I'm not going to worship at the altar of Trump. I'm not going to sell my soul for a seat at the political table. Therefore, throughout the book, I speak my mind. So my loyalty is to what's true and what's right. And when the president does something right, I'm going to applaud him and shout it from the rooftops when he does something that concerns me. I'm going to say, I wish he didn't do this. That to me is what integrity and loyalty require. All
2: right. Now I'm going to do my best to take on the persona of the way I thought about Christianity, the first 29 years of my life. Okay. Yep. Uh, And so set aside for a second, we know each other. We've spoken at the same conferences and forget, you know, anything about me or where I'm coming from. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a skeptic, I've got a generic belief in God, but not sure I believe this whole Bible thing, Jesus rose again thing, okay? Just a generic American, all right? I'm having a hard time understanding why you Christians who claim to have the market cornered on absolute truth are so, so seem to be struggling with this elementary level of discernment that you just articulated, which is when someone does something I agree with, I agree with it. And when they don't do something I agree with, I disagree with it. Why Why does this require an evangelical leader to step in and say, it's okay to do this, guys? Why should I turn to Christianity when you guys seemingly are struggling with elementary levels of discernment to give yourselves permission to think for yourselves?
1: Yeah, that's a totally fair question. You could even raise the charge of hypocrisy because we were shouting character matters in the days of Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. And it seems if, as if we're saying character doesn't matter now. All right, first thing, look at our lives. Look at the way we live in our community. Look at who's helping the poor. Look at who's helping drug addicts. Look at who's helping people rehab. Look at who's doing good in a lot of parts of the world going into difficult areas, building hospitals, educating the uneducated. Look at our overall life first. Don't make everything stand or fall on our vote for the president. That's first thing. Second thing, we often polarize unnecessarily, and you bring a valid criticism. When the secular media paints Donald Trump as losing his mind, as, as a Nazi sympathizer, as responsible for all the evil in the world, some evangelicals react as if they have to defend him at every point. That's a mistake. We compromise our integrity when we do it. But look, to us, abortion is a real evil. 60 million babies killed since 1973 is a real evil. Even if we have questions about character issues with Donald Trump, even if we don't like his past, we think he's gonna do a better job than Hillary Clinton and then stopping this genocide of babies in America. Even though we have issues with a lot of his tweets and obnoxious things he says, and calling former employees dogs and insulting LeBron James, et cetera, et cetera, even though we have these issues and calling Joe Scarborough psycho Joe, when we see the genocide of Christians in the Middle East and we see the evils of radical Islam, We think Donald Trump could do a better job fighting against that. So we just go down the line about values that are really important. We wish the president was a good role model. And unfortunately, some of us are like everybody else. We get reactionary. We we get involved in partisan politics. And we should take that on the chin. We have to do better and be a more consistent witness.
2: One more question from a skeptic point of view. Well, the president's
1: got all these Christian leaders around him all the time,
2: all these evangelical leaders. He's got an evangelical council. I see all these Christian leaders on cable news, particularly Fox, talking about how great he is all the time. and. I mean, don't these people ever hold them accountable at all? Aren't they providing any accountability? Aren't they saying, you know, hey, um, that's not the way you're supposed to behave? Uh, we expect more if you want our support. Because all I typically see when I look at evangelical leaders in the media is shilling for them or presidents of, of of renowned evangelical universities, where my wife is currently a student, by the way, uh, saying, well, hey, you know, JFK may have raped somebody, so it doesn't really matter how many porn stars he has unprotected sex with. I mean, I mean where's the accountability then? Because all I ever see is political shilling.
1: Some of it, you're absolutely right. I've written articles. They're in my book, Donald Trump is Not My Savior, where I write articles to major evangelical leaders and say, with all respect, we're colleagues. But can't. Or why make the man into St. Donald? Why make him into the greatest Christian since the days of Paul? I mean, come on. Let's, let's be honest about the man we're dealing with. So on the one hand, some do sound like political shills, and that's part of what I'm trying to shout out by saying he's not our savior. We, we can raise issues and criticisms, but on the flip side, a lot of stuff does go on behind closed doors you and I know if there's an issue in our family, we're not going to air that to the whole world because we're family. We're going to address it behind closed doors. One of my dearest friends is very close to President Trump and to his face has rebuked him in strong terms. In fact, one day he was so harsh with him over the phone, he called him back to apologize. And Trump said, man, I love you. In other words, Trump has not rejected The the constructive criticism and even loving rebuke of some of these insiders, I would dare say, despite the things he does on a weekly basis that still grieve me, he's a better man now than he was three years ago. And he's more solidly entrenched in important principles, principles of life and family and things for the good of America and the good of Israel. I think he's in a better place now than he was three years ago. Jesus said it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. So these evangelicals are just where they need to be to the extent you think Donald Trump has issues and problems, all the more should you applaud people for being there to be in his ear. They are not all just yes men. Some of it may sound like that outwardly, but I know many are speaking the truth to him. I talked to one the other day. I said, can you get him to do anything about his tweets? And they said, he thinks they work. He thinks they're effective. I'm not a White House insider. I had one meeting at the White House. Jared Kushner was there. Others was there. When there was a a time to ask for input, my first thing was, look, as evangelicals, we'd love to get more support for the president. But he goes two steps forward, two steps backward. Can you get him to adjust any of his behavior? And Someone said he's a 70-year-old man. It's unlikely he'll change now. We'll keep trying. That's the least we can do is keep trying.
2: Dr. Michael Brown is our guest here on the Steve Day Show, live on The Blaze On Demand on CRTV, talking about his new book, Donald Trump is Not My Savior. All right, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch gears now. I want us to chat for a few minutes, Michael, as, uh, uh, as appears uh, in the trenches here culturally. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I have been on numerous front lines of political causes. And I think because of the unwillingness to even approach the conversation you're trying to have, uh, which is, um, when he does stuff I like, I will like it. When he does stuff he, I, does, I don't like, I won't like it. And when the options I, are put before me, I have no power, uh, no remaining power to make better. I'll make the best choice I can uh, without lying and deceiving myself that I'm trying to make the best choice I can in a flawed and fallen world. Because we have been unwilling to do this collectively as a church when engaging the political arena we are falling for a trap and we have fallen for a trap which is we give up we, we give up our, our all of our public virtue as defined by our political opponents and if we don't we're a bunch of hacks and shills um, and if we don't give them free reign to remake America into the progressive utopia that they want, um, if we stand up to their spirit of the age with any vehicle or any tool whatsoever, no matter how flawed, uh, we, 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 we are hacks and shills and hypocritical. So if, if we don't give the left free reign to completely undo all of what's left of the Judeo-Christian founding of America, and we're falling for this. Because we are, we are permitting the false choice, which is defend Trump at all costs, no matter what, or America loses. We are falling for their trap. And what's happening is the next generation behind us, the millennials, are watching this and coming to the conclusion we have no character or credibility as a church body at all and are are bolting out of our churches at at, at an alarming rate. My age group, 35 to 45-year-old men, are taking over for your age group in the pulpit. And they're all deciding, I don't want to be Robert Jeffress, I don't want to be Ralph Reed, I don't want to be Pat Robertson. I'm um, have I'm orthodox in my preaching, but I, and we're going to we're going to talk about sin and what's going on in the culture, but I am not going to get involved in what's happening in the public arena cuz there's no way I can do it without looking like a clown on cable news. And so we are falling for all of these false choices, which, in my view, are creating Pyrrhic victories. Whatever short-term games we think we're getting right this moment, we are losing a longer-term battle here. Tell me I'm wrong.
1: Uh, you're, you're right. You're right. And, again, not to keep mentioning the book, but that's a major reason that I wanted to get this out. We must have a third narrative. We, we must be God's independent party. We must be a prophetic voice to the culture. Of course we're going to get slammed by the media we were getting slammed before donald trump mm-hmm. if ted cruz was the president now and never said one foul word we'd be accused of trying to set up a theocracy mm-hmm. we'd be blasted trump gives people more fuel for the fire but we'd be blasted no matter who was in for the stands that we take look the battle is over roe v wade the battle is over radical feminists and the battle is over stealing religious liberties and you just go down the list that's where the real battle is what we have to do is find that place of holy independence. That Let the media shout what it's going to shout. Let the left-wing media shout what it's going to shout. Let, let the Republican Party call for our loyalty. And we instead will find a, a, a third path. We instead, yes, I want people to vote. Voting is very important. We understand the, the impact of politics. One of my colleagues was doing a talk at a college campus and was asked about, do politics you know, matter for the church? And he said, what's the difference between South Korea and North Korea? Why does one place have liberty, and the other doesn't? Politics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Politics matters, but politics is not the gospel. My first allegiance is to the kingdom of God and the Great Commission and the things that the Bible calls us to do. And then secondarily, am I an American patriot? So if we are first and foremost, America first, patriots, or first and foremost, reacting to the narrative of the left wing media, we lose. What we need to go back to is putting first things first and then bringing that wisdom. Some of us are more political, some of us more theological, but pastors, churches, leaders, they need to recapture our role. And it's so interesting that in the black church, which, which and social issues goes very liberal and theologically is is conservative. It's had no problem saying that politics and the gospel can work hand in hand in a way to change society for the gospel, for the better. That's what we need to do and say, look, we all agree. America has lots of problems and let's change it for the better. And then we need to be sensitive when we see evangelicals, when we see young Christians who have a problem with Trump and say, how could you vote for the man rather than just dismissing them as CNN cronies we need to be sensitive to what they're saying recognize the validity of some of it and then help them see the larger issues and the reasons for the battle otherwise you're absolutely right we dance to one tune or the other we lose and america loses what's been
2: because i know your book's been out for a little while now so what what has been the criticism you've received of your book that you thought hmm, maybe i should have thought about that one or maybe i'll rethink that one or maybe that ought to be the next book
1: Well, thus far, you know, it's just been out uh, less than a week and and all the reviews so far are five star on Amazon, which is which is positive. So folks actually reading it. But a lot of folks don't like the title. They're upset with me over the title and they think I'm a Trump basher. But that gives me hope first thing is maybe people will pick it up. It's in airport bookstores and Barnes and Nobles and these other secular bookstores. Maybe people will pick it up thinking I'm a Trump hater and will go on a journey with me and, and learn why my perspectives have changed over the years. That's, that's one thing. The other thing is if I can't get people from the title to the subtitle, I don't have a lot of hope. They're actually going to read the book. So as I, as I get criticism from actual readers of the book, then I can evaluate, but I, I think we need to shout out to the world, the man is not our savior, and you are not going to pin our testimony, our credibility, our character to the president. That's not the way it's going to work. Let's recapture the narrative as best as we can. And then when things settle in over the months ahead, as we get more more critiques and reviews and things like that, then I can see, do I need to get a, the next message out as a follow-up?
2: What you just described is why I've I've been at, in terms of my career— sort of an existential crossroads the last couple of years. I, I spent full-time work for almost a decade trying to mobilize and, and, and get evangelicals in particular, but uh, really people with any sort of a Judeo-Christian theistic view engaged and energized in the public square. And, and now I, I look back and wonder if, if I made a mistake, and here's why. And I understand that's probably an overreaction. I get that, okay? But I'm human too. What you just told me is we have created political idolaters and not activists. The fact that the number one criticism you're getting is from other believers who, think, who, who take offense at the title of your book um, uh, under the assumption that to declare Donald Trump is not Cheeto Jesus after all must mean... Must mean that you wanted Hillary to win. That tells me we didn't create activists, Michael. We didn't create patriots. We created Fox News watchers, Michael. We we created yeah. political idolaters. We we you know it's funny you mentioned the Black Church because I've listened, to, I've I've heard Tavis Smiley on BET say countless times in recent years, all the Black Church did was just get a bunch of people to vote for Democrats and didn't get really almost any of the issues they care about ever addressed. And now, and now if you look at the intersectionality chart, I mean, you know, Rainbow Jihad, as you well know, is like up here in the front row. And the black church is like space butter, space butter, space butter, space, space bar, way in the back of the bus again. They're in the back of the Democrat Party bus while the rainbow flag goes to the front row. We didn't create Patriots, Michael. We created idolaters. We created Fox News viewers, not people that were able to make the sort of discerning choices that you're describing.
1: Yeah, it's it's a soundbite generation. And the outrageous thing to me is, do you think Donald Trump is your savior? Why are you getting mad at me for saying what we agree on then? Yeah, so I, I often see that the reaction is the soundbite right-wing reaction, and for all the good that Fox News does, I don't worship at that altar either. You know, for me, I'm first a gospel minister doing gospel work and secondarily intersecting with politics because it intersects with culture and that intersects with the Bible. So there's always in me this notion that there must be a great awakening, that there must be uh, only God can save America. I'm always aware of that. And as I said earlier, politics is not the gospel. At the same time, to the extent I'm trying to educate people as you are, I'm trying to equip people as you are. You've never been lightweight, Steve. You've always gotten into substantive issues. Yeah, It is scary to see that at the end we just have people polarizing right-wing politics, left-wing politics, as opposed to being societal changers.
2: Yes, I think this is our great challenge is we aren't left with an option of vacating uh, the mission field. That's just, you know, that, that, that's contrary to the Great Commission. And if I believed in, um, you know, joining modern monasteries, this wouldn't be my full-time work, okay? But we are struggling with margin. Not We're struggling with obsession. And I, I really have appreciate much of what Fox News has done to bring more balance to the media for the last 20 years. But if I have another conservative tell me so-and-so got fired at Fox News for false allegations, which may be true. I don't know what went on there. But then tell me Fox News is the only media outlet they trust. Well, you think they're firing their stars for false allegations, yet you trust them? This is the kind of thinking we think from CNN Zombies. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we we I don't want to. My fear is, I don't. We don't have the option to just surrender. I'm not. I'm not advocating that. I am saying we're going to have to figure out how are we going to create non-tribalists, and I don't know how to do that. I mean, if I did, I'd probably be making a lot more money, and I'd be getting more speaking engagements. But uh, that's our great challenge: is we haven't figured out how to do this in a way that just doesn't produce the the rivalry team for the other side's idolatry by and large. And, I, I, and, and you know, to me, idolatry times idolatry is like zero times zero. It's just zero. We, we don't win there. We, we're, those are pyrrhic victories where we might win an election or two, but we're losing the next generation. I think that's our great challenge. I'll give you the last word. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yes, yeah, Steve. We've got to get people thinking, understanding, caring, and then acting on issues and not just getting caught up in political tides. As important as the midterms are, we have to recognize that the elections alone will not turn the tide of America. And we have to ask always at what cost are we winning certain victories so for everyone that's watching listening to us that considers themselves a believer and a follower of jesus your number one priority is to live things out according to scripture your number one priority is to be faithful to the words and example of jesus your number one priority is to love god love your neighbor and then put politics in where it fits but don't make politics the top don't make that the idol Make serving God your ultimate goal, loving your neighbor your ultimate goal, raising godly families, educating your kids on issues that matter, and then put politics in the right place. As long as we have it at the top of our list, we will fail in the mission.
2: Dr. Michael Brown, our guest here today, live on The Blaze on Demand at CRTV. His latest book, Donald Trump is Not My Savior, An Evangelical Leader, speaks his mind about the man he supports as president. Good to talk to you, brother. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Always great to be with you. Thanks, Steve.
2: All right, so I know we're going to have some reaction to this conversation, um, because if, if you didn't want to vote for Donald Trump because he's a bad human being as a believer, I don't think you owe anybody any explanation for that because the evidence is bountiful. And if you wanted to vote for Donald Trump last time because Hillary Clinton openly told you she was going to use the full machinations of government to come after your religious beliefs. I don't think you owe anybody an apology for that either. And if you didn't vote for Trump the last time, but now you're like, he did keep his word to move the embassy, the economy's doing better, et cetera. And you decide you want to vote for him this time that he's earned your vote that you didn't think he had earned before he had a record. I don't think you owe anybody an apology for any of these three positions that might seem to conflict. Because I think guys we're having the wrong debate. We're having a pagan utilitarian debate. Which choice will you make? The biblical debate is, why, why are you going to make that choice? For whom are you going to make that choice? And if we're going to have utilitarian arguments, then we're going to fall for the progressive trap, and it's going to get very divisive amongst us because we're essentially arguing with each other about how to live out our faith using an ethical system that is contrary to it. But if we're going to sit here and say, you know, come now, let us reason together. Where are you coming from? What do you think about this? It's a matter of conscience, conscience. Uh, you know, um, you know. What's your conscience telling you? What do you think you can, amongst your family members, or on your Facebook wall, or at your church? What position do you think you can take on this very divisive public matter that everybody's talking about? That you don't think compromises your your testimony or your faith? See we're not having that conversation we're having choose to make the choice choose or lose and that's the way that's where the that's 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 the pagan thinking and that's why this remains a, a very divisive topic amongst us todd three years into this now we're still having the same arguments we we're having in 2016 well, when you said, what does it say about us, when you talked about the kind of
4: comments that he was getting, uh, that's where I'm at. I, along these lines, I don't remember the specific conversation we were having, but I went uh 1 Corinthians, and i just do the same thing again. Uh, some of you will say uh, that you should follow Paul, and some of you will say that you should follow Apollo. And if you're doing that, aren't you being merely fleshly human beings? Aren't you being... S- strictly of this world and not of the world I've called you to. And that's over two legitimate leaders of the faith. We're having this argument over Donald Trump, which means it's not really about him. It's about us and before yes.
2: anything resembling a church at all anymore. It means it, it, what we're really doing is we're, we're not granting conscience. We're saying, why won't I want, let me pick this out of the context of the election. What you're really saying is, why don't you like this meat sacrifice to idols as much as I do? Or why aren't you detested by this meat sacrifice to idols as much as I am? Or why don't you recognize that these idols are false gods and it's just a piece of meat and you're hungry so you should eat? As, why don't you have the common sense that I do? That's really what we're, what we're doing. Is Why won't you act and behave about a gray area and a matter of conscience, Aaron. The way I'm comfortable with, yeah. and if you don't, it clearly must mean you just don't love Jesus.
0: Yeah, and it's funny we had this this conversation today because yesterday my pastor lost his poop uh, in the pulpit uh, because somebody had sent him a, apparently a huge stack of those voter guide cards. You know, and I think I know what organization here in Iowa probably sent. Uh, sent it to him, um, you know, just pretty much a Republican shill. He lost his poop over that <laughs> in the pulpit, uh, calling people out because he was making the point: we're not a Republican, we're not a Democrat, we're not a progressive, we're not. We're a gospel-centered church, and the gospel, as Michael Brown said towards the end of that, the gospel is the answer to all of this question. But had my pastor or a pastor ten years ago, Steve, had he gotten had had you heard of a pastor that had gotten up in the pulpit? And said, "Shame on you, whoever sent this to to my desk—the stack of voter um, um, guide cards for the for the church." Um, what would you have thought of that pastor? Knee jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. Probably would have thought, "Well, man, that guy's probably liberal. We don't need—we need the church to actually be involved." Ten years later, now you're absolutely all of this. We've just made a bunch of idolaters. The question then becomes: I think, as Michael Brown, or maybe it was you, uh, who 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 um, said, "You know, can." Can the gospel be used um, along with politics? well, um, can you t- take a gospel uh, d- gospel oriented approach to pornography no there's no by its very nature pornography is counter to god 's law it's counter to anything r- involving the gospel that's by its nature. the question that become c- becomes in our context in our culture and in our country right now has politics become That corrupted i think the answer is no but we're quickly quickly hitting down that route until we can figure out steve how to do this without using the opposition's philosophy in approaching these issues and we have not done that yet because we have always 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 fallen for the greatest idol of them all it's not the r it's not the d it's the binary choice that is the biggest idol we have not figured out, as the church, as people who, who claim the name of Christ, or just generic conservatism, we have not figured out how to draw distinctions and how to actually reason together. And because of that, we are going to quickly go to a place where politics is just like pornography. There's no redeeming it, there's no using it for the gospel, none of that, because it's just so corrupted.
2: More on this conversation here next, live on The Blaze, on Demand at CRTV. Stay tuned. So Aaron said something about uh, his pastor, and you were telling us during the break, fairly conservative fellow.
0: Oh, d- dude is one of the most bold guys you'll you'll ever meet.
2: Not bashful about addressing contemporary societal yep. ills threatening the church within yep. and without, right? Yep. And yet these voter guides put him on tilt. Yeah. I think I probably know why, and it, it speaks to the conversation we were just having with Dr. Michael Brown about his his new book, "Donald Trump is Not My Savior." So, um, I got saved at a Promise Keepers in Kansas City, Missouri, September eighteenth, two thousand and three. And when I got converted, I was already doing a popular daily sports talk show in the community. And I'd even done some fill-in work for the big uh, Clear Channel, well, it was Clear Channel back then, now it's iHeart, for the big Clear Channel political talker, WHO. I'd, I'd even done some fill-in work for the, the morning conservative guy who went on to be one of my radio mentors, Jan Michelson. So I had already built an, a little bit, at least, of a public notoriety before I got converted. The first election after I got converted was two thousand and four. And I remember going to church at in and, and the, the church we attended at that time was every stereotype of a suburban, seeker friendly church you could imagine. I mean, we checked every box. Now I didn't know it then. I was new in my faith. I was just beginning to, you know, become discipled. So I didn't realize it then. But I mean, I look back on it now. We checked every box. And and the ultimate anecdotal confirmation is a few years ago the church literally went out of business like a business literally went out of business i was gonna
0: say you choose you chose those words intentionally yeah
2: i chose them intentionally we didn't have elders we had a board of directors and the church literally went out of business it's going to become a movie theater that's going to open up here in waukee one of our suburbs in a couple of weeks right on the ground again that's another metaphor i remember the head pastor telling me once that we didn't put a cross on the building and when we built it and we designed it to look like an automobile showroom so that people would feel like you know they could come in and see a show and feel welcome no matter where they were at and the idea that it's went out of business and the showroom will be replaced by a building with showrooms that's some revelation three right there that's That's Jesus taking away your lampstand right there, brother. Man, that ain't some divine providence, man. I don't know what it is right there. (laughs) Okay? So I, I come into work, or I come into church, the Sunday before the 2004 election. And two guys that belong to, well, back then it was the Iowa Christian Coalition. It had not changed its name to the Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition yet. Two guys that belong to the Iowa Christian Coalition meet me out in the parking lot as I'm coming with my family, and they're like, hey, we want to hand out these voter guides. Will you go talk to the pastor? He might listen to you. The reason people would think the pastor might listen to me is because at this kind of church, if you're any kind of a successful businessman, which means you can write a big check, or you have, you're you any kind of public persona, so you have a following, you got an audience. You know, Again, I didn't realize this stuff at the time. I only figured it out a couple of years later, and then we ended up leaving the church. But um, once I figured that out, you know, and I remember going to the pastor at the time and lobbying for these voter guides, and he didn't want the voter guides in there because he didn't want to bring politics into the church. So his issue was not your pastor's issue. His issue was he didn't want to take a stand on anything. And it was about a year or two, a year later, that this same church, when we attended at the time, had always done Sanctity of Life Week in January. A year later, I didn't do Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I took that pastor to lunch because you guys know one of my guilty pleasures is asking men in positions of authority questions I already know the answer to because I just want to watch them squirm.
0: Have you done that recently?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I should do it more. Okay. So I I took I, I met the, the pastor for lunch and we're sitting there at Palmer's Deli in downtown Des Moines here. And we're having a nice uh, you know salad and I'm asking him, Hey, you know, just out of curiosity, why didn't we do St. Dino Live Sunday this year? And it gets real quiet at the table. and It's like, yeah, you know, we thought about it, and I just, uh, I think there's too many women in our church that have had abortions, and I don't want to bring up all that guilt and shame all over again, so we decided not to bring it up. Now, Palmers, for those of you that have never been to Des Moines, you know, every, Des Moines is the big city here, Okay. Maybe tonight, those of you that are working down at the Blaze today in Arlington, you're laughing. Okay. They're in suburban uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, but in Iowa, Des Moines, the big city. And um, Palmer's is like one of the lunch places in downtown Des Moines. A lot of media people go there, political people go there, because it's also one of the best lunch places in downtown Des Moines. Yeah. And um, um, have the best gluten free, Aaron. Peanut butter blossom cookie you will ever have in your life. Peanut they butter make it, they, and it's and awesome. Blossom? Yeah, it's a it's a and peanut butter blossom gluten free cookie <laughs> at Palmer's and it's great. Just to, I should have told you that years ago. You, you my t- bad. Wife. Okay, when did
0: I work for? Start working for? I you? I know
2: I should have told you that because Aaron's in a gluten free regiment, so I should have said that. I'm sorry. So this place is packed and it's in the noon hour, and I pounded my fist down on that lunch table. As loud as I could. And I hadn't hadn't started my workout regimen yet. So with inertia, I brought a good 400, uh, nearly 389 LBs, full force down on that table. And man, made a lot of people stop what they were doing in that restaurant. Because I was really ticked. Because what I told them is you're letting those women live in shame rather than healing them from it. The gospel cuts quick, Yes, cuts, cuts deep in order to spur healing. Yeah, that's but, mercy. That's yeah. For the, same, the same reason we, we don't just put a band-aid on an infected wound, but we pour salt on it to cleanse it. The reason that hydrogen peroxide—and Vicki, if you're watching, you were a little—mom, <laughs> I think you were a little too eager— With the hydrogen peroxide back in the day. I'm just going to say. Don't turn back on the mercy now, Steve. I'm kind of, well, the mercy was overflowing. I second what
0: Steve said, mom.
2: (laughs) I mean, there was too much mercy in our house. It hurt. The mercy hurt. Mom would like bathe me in that stuff, fell off my bike. (sighs) My arm would be like bubbling. Like, what is that? Is that normal? You're fine. It's good. All right. All right. It just hurts like a son of a gun. All right. But the reason we do that is to clean the the infection out. Because that's the only way there's healing. When you put a Band-Aid over an infection, you know what you just have? An infection. And these women, these women need healing. And then they need that healing so that they can then go to other women who have either fallen for this, this lie or are about to. And they can share their testimony of, of, of repentance and healing with them. And I bring this story up because it's a, there's two reasons why a pastor would not let those voter guides into his church. The stereotypical reason is what was going on at my church years ago. And that's why I was called in as the local celebrity, which doesn't exist, oxymoron. It's like moderate Arab nation. uh, Local celebrity is not a thing. Okay? No such thing. But I was brought in as the local celebrity to hopefully use my notoriety to talk the pastor of this megachurch into letting these voter guides in so God's man George W. Bush could win the 2004 election. If those same individuals came up to me today, and what's funny is on the issues, I am much more conservative now than I was in 2004. I'm much more right-wing on the issues now, like immigration and stuff. I was a total squish on a lot of these issues. So I actually, I had not really started studying God's word yet. Didn't really know what got the immigration policy, because I kept hearing all these leftists talk about well, in Leviticus, it says to be kind to the alien and sojourner in their land. I'm like, wow, I should, I'm quoting, I should go look up what Leviticus says about immigration. And it does say that. And then it says to the immigrant, you can't stay unless you change your religion, uh, worship the only one true God. Other than that, enjoy our gleamings and keep passing by. And there's no such thing as little Edom. We don't have a little Philistine. We don't have little Assyria. Uh, you don't get to bring your gods and your customs here. Thank you. I'm like... You guys know the book you're quoting from? Are You sure this is the immigration policy you want? I'm not no, sure it means what you think it there's means. No
0: Sodom Town. You
2: know. Yeah, that doesn't that didn't happen. Okay, so after I started studying God's Word, I got much more conservative. It was funny; I got less Republican, far more conservative, far more right wing. And if now I, I don't know about the Faith and Freedom Coalition group where you live, I don't know, but the one that exists here. The guy who has ran it for years a snake. Is, is, is a snake, the most treacherous person I've ever met in politics, the most dishonest person I've ever met in politics on either side. And he's our Republican National Committeeman, and I helped him get that position, which I regret to this day, and it even comes up in my next book that, I'm, that releases in January. But he, but it's not it's not any kind of faith and freedom coalition. It's a Republican get-out-the-vote group. And so when you get these voter guides in Iowa from, the, from our faith and freedom coalition, you know what they say? It doesn't matter who it is. Every Republican is is literally sitting at the right hand of Jesus, and every Democrat's the devil. Every Republican, is every one of them's is 100% pro-life. Even the pa- pastor's wife, Renee Schulte, who in a group of legislators I was working with forced to vote uh, in the Iowa legislature eight years ago on life beginning at conception. This pastor's wife, Renee Schulte, literally ran out of the statehouse to avoid having to vote so she wasn't present because she didn't want to have to vote. On when life began. This was the pastor's wife in the legislature. Okay. So when the Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition comes to a pastor like yours and gives you a voter guide, that voter guide is going to say every single Republican is good no matter where they're actually at on the issues, and every single Democrat is bad. And so 15 years ago, I would have argued with pastors to let us put those voter guides in. In this day and age, I would, if I were a pastor, if you brought me an Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition, a voter guide, and I lived it, and I was a pastor in Iowa. Get
0: behind me, Satan. I,
2: that's exactly would be my response. There's no way that's getting through my front door. No way. No way. You're not doing. You're not doing your party propaganda in here. And I think this is an important corollary to this conversation. What's happening right now within within? I don't know what's going on. If you guys are having these battles in Catholicism right now because of the the abuse scandal is so, and and maybe in the presence of the Pope. Can be a positive and a negative in that if he's, if he's pushing orthodoxy too far for the progressives in the church, then all the conversations are about what he's doing there. And if he's pushing progressivism too far, then all of you for orthodoxy, you know what I'm saying? Where mm-hmm. he is such a central figure that whatever is his, is, is what one side of the seesaw of views as his weakness becomes all about him, almost a Trumpian kind of a figure where he's the news cycle every day. You know what I'm trying to say? I do. Um, but within evangelicalism, and Aaron, I know you see this a lot as a millennial evangelical. What's happening right now is you have the Robert Jeffress, Jerry Falwell Jr. group uh, where they'll literally go on TV and say um, Trump, Trump didn't have sex with a porn star. And then when, they, when we find out that he did, then they'll say, but it's okay. At least he didn't rape anybody like JFK did. Right? That's, that's one group. And now what we're seeing to oppose this group is you have the Beth Moores, the Gospel Coalition folks, who's work you know, Joe Carter, who worked in the Huckabee campaign in 08, is now with the Gospel Coalition. There's a lot of people there that I like. But now this group is kind of emerging to counter the Trump-Shilling narrative to say, well, this is why we've all got a, uh, you know be social justice warriors and, and intersectionality in the name of Jesus, right? Is this what's going on right this now? Is,
0: this is what you're describing. Total false choice. The you're, narrow yeah. road.
2: Yes. Total false choice. You don't have to do any of those things. You don't have to conform to Trump or away from Trump. Trump is an irrelevant figure in the his, in, to a Christian. An irrelevant figure. Did
0: you know? Did you know He's not a God. Did you know that? Yeah, he's, he's not,
2: not. He to, He is one of two things to you. Um, a device you can justify using to defend your belief system as best you can in a fallen age, or a device that you view as too problematic and compromised to, to to get your hands dirty with. And whichever one of those choices you think you can best justify according to your own conscience and the and the dictates of Scripture, God bless you. Because we've got far more reaching kingdom-building work to do than argue about this. And... When I asked, not even knowing the answer, was I shocked Michael Brown's answer was, yeah, I had a whole bunch of people say that because the title of my book is Trump is not my savior, it must mean that Trump, uh, i must mean I hate Trump. I wasn't shocked that that was the reaction at all. I wasn't shocked. This is, this is an argument unworthy of having. None of these, polit- I know, I, I guarantee you, I know almost all of them that you want to know better than you do. Or I know people that know them better than you do none of them i'm not you know why none of them are worthy of it cuz all politicians are cuz all humans are bad and they're not worthy of it i'm not worthy of it you're not worthy of it you're not worthy of it. it goes to what you just said a minute ago some of you say that you were saved by apollos some of you say that you were saved by paul some of you say you were saved by cephas which is a reference to saint peter uh there's one lord and one baptism we're we're humans thanks but you're if you're following us then we failed on day 1 or you didn't get the right message okay this, this is the most divisive argument in the church right now. And it's an argument. I mean, this is a... This is a <laughs> for eight years, Barack Obama was like Max Hedrum. He he, he, his face dominated every screen. Doesn't it seem like he was present like 25 years ago right now? It's like he, he's completely irrelevant. It, 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 it's an irrelevant figure on the world stage. And three seconds after Donald Trump no longer has the magic R after his name and nobody cares what he posts on Twitter when he can't enact public policy, we're going to sit here and say the same thing. Why did we lose our poop every day over this? Why? And if, if you've decided that Trump is your godly instrument and without him, America is lost, you're an idolater. And if you have decided now that I'm going to practice syncretism in the church by abandoning my first love, which is the reason that you were appalled at the selection of Trump was your love of orthodoxy. And so now you're going to be like, you know, I'm, I can't believe these fake Christian leaders are polluting orthodoxy with their political partisanship. So I'm going to respond by uh, my white privilege con- conference. You failed and you suck at this. And you fell for the same banana in the tailpipe as the people you're criticizing. The, you know, that's the, and this is the challenge of the gospel, guys. It is simple. It's not easy. It is very simple to understand it's Christ alone. It is not easy in this fallen world to carry out, which is why we've got to give each other a lot of room for grace, man. And you know where grace comes in? When we do reason together, we find out, why do you think this way? Why are you going to vote this way? Why are you going to make this choice? As opposed to jumping right away to the bottom line of, are you going to make the choice I want you to make or I think you should make? That's One is, one is seeking righteousness. The other one is self-righteousness. And when we decide we're not going to leave room for people in a gray area to follow their own conscience... We're not, we're not any different than the progressives we criticize. They're not for diversity either. They're for conformity, and those are two totally different things. In a way, that's exactly what we're practicing here, Todd. You must conform to the, to, to the secondary position that I hold dear, and if you don't, then you're a heretic. Period. End of sentence. Or, in order to confront your heresy, I will give myself permission to adopt a heresy of my own. That, that's really what we're talking about.
4: You know, well, When I think about voting here in a week and in two years, uh, we've talked about before. Steve just got done um, writing about um, the possibility of voting straight-ticket Republican for the first time, and he doesn't remember how long exactly. Uh, And I'm right there with him. And while I didn't vote for Donald Trump, as Steve said earlier, uh, I, I can envision a scenario two years from now. Where I do, but the thing that keeps calling me, that still small voice, is uh, that uh, despite all of that, uh, I i feel called to not vote. N- not because I'm better than the system, um, but because God is better than the system. And I, just so people actually ask me about it, I can tell them and they'll ask me why and, and I'll tell them because I'm free. i That idols aren't edifying. I don't need them and neither do you
0: quickly i would just say remember your faith is primarily first and foremost a personal relationship before it's a corporate one keep that at the foremost or the front of your mind as we have these
2: conversations see you tomorrow john 3:17 the truth straight no chaser steve dace on the blaze radio network